a listener production. I've gotten into this weird habit. I don't know why. I've started making this noise. Wait. <sighs> like I'll just be sitting there and I'll start making this noise. <laughs> and Caleb, to Caleb, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard. He keeps saying it sounds like I'm doing wet farts. Oh, oh it does. It does. He's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I've started doing it. It's like some weird tick that's developed the last few weeks. Okay. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Try to get a handle on that, please. I don't like that at all. Mm-mm-mm. Sorry, guys. Sorry, no. Fifi. Sorry, Jacob. Um, okay. Are you ready? Yes. <clears throat> Take it away, my dulcet toned Adonis. No! Ah! <laughs> okay, go, go, go. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry you had to hear that, Gistners, but welcome back for another episode of Just the Gist, a weekly-ish, epi- uh, weekly-ish podcast in which Breezy Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, make disgusting noises, apparently. That's our new gimmick. Um, we actually, no. What we do is we tell you amazing You're stories. You're nailing this, Jacob. You are <laughs> nailing this. This is the best, best intro you've ever done. <laughs> Start again. We give you just the gist of what you need to know about a story we think you'll find interesting enough to share at a dinner party. Got it. Yay! <laughs> you did it! <laughs> you really threw me with that awful sound effect. <laughs> Hooray! Huzzah! Welcome! Uh, Sorry this is a few days late, although you know what? I think we're just going to stop. Can we, look, let's just say it drops on Fridays, but it just drops when it drops. <laughs> so just, I'm not going to say it's a few days late because here it is. It's just here. Here we are. Better late than never. Better late than never. And I feel really bad that you and I are currently in two of the only places in Australia that haven't been thrown into lockdown. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, everyone. Yeah, it it really sucks. I mean, it's more than half the country, isn't it? 12 million people. Uh, Pretty much all of East, Mm. right? Yeah. I mean, well, all of Southeast. So where are you? Top end of uh, Queensland. Yes, I am at Cape Tribulation, which is a few hours north of Cairns. It's as far north as you can go by car without having one of those really intense four-wheel drives. And it's 27 degrees and sunny and humid. And it's my absolute paradise. (laughs) Your Um, tan is looking particularly Jacob tan Thank you very much. Nothing I love hearing more than that. And I'm in Adelaide where everything is just safe all the time. So we once had what we now call the infamous pizza box scare, which ended up being nothing. Mm. So it's, but I will say it is really heartbreaking to watch Melbourne and Sydney, like New South Wales and a lot of Victoria go into lockdown again. It sucks. Yeah, it really does. We're really sorry, guys. We're sorry, guys. Mm. We're really sorry. But you can get through it. You will get through it. You've done it before. Yeah. You know that you can do it. You'll do it again. Hey, and I'm about to join you because big news, breaking, or should we just put this in breaking news? <gasps> Breaking news, breaking news, I got the scope, I see, x-ray, x-ray, read all about it, breaking news. Me and Caleb are moving to Melbourne. I know, it's happening, I can't believe it's happening because I love Adelaide, 
so much. Who knew? <laughs> and I feel like I just moved here. Mm. But Caleb has been promoted to a position at the Herald Sun in Melbourne. Congrats. So it's happening. We've found an apartment. We're moving pretty much in the next couple of weeks. Bringing Boo with us. We found an apartment on a ground floor so Boo can still like go outside to a nice courtyard and stuff. It's mm-hmm. really cute. Mm-hmm. But yeah, moving. Look at you go. Moving moving to where the lockdown is and, you know, well, hopefully, hopefully not by the time we get there. Fingers crossed, Melbs. So you've got a little best friend in your backyard. I've noticed your besties with an alligator or whatever it is. It's a crocodile. I think she's a freshwater crocodile and she's absolutely beautiful. But, um, yeah, anytime she becomes aware of my presence, she just turns around and stares directly through my soul. You're taking photos that look really close. She is very, very close. Like... And she's not small. Like, she's not big, but she's not small. Yeah, I don't think she's full grown yet, but she's probably more than two metres long. You can go to my Instagram and see her if you haven't yet. Um, Jacob William Stanley. He feels bad about posting too many glorious, beautiful photos of his current... Adventure. Mm. Adventure in far north Queensland, which, by the way, you just like miraculously called it, decided you were going to drive up north like the day before lockdown happened. Like I don't, that was just such a fluke for you as a Sydney cider. But um, Jacob doesn't want to post too many photos because he doesn't want to rub it into people. But there are some photos of your crocodile friend. Mm -hmm. Yes. And her name is- Have you named her? Hermes. Because she's going to make the most beautiful (laughs) Beautiful birkin when she's big enough. Mm. (laughs) Yes. Says the person who's vegan because of animal rights. (laughs) I've decided that she's close enough to being seafood that I'm willing to um, just push her onto that side of the line of what I will and won't accept. Yeah, yeah. She's she's on the acceptable side of my little hypocrisy. Mm. Would you like some more, before we get into Britney, obviously, because I feel like our break-in news now is just Britney news, but um, I did, and I swear to God, I didn't go looking for this, but there's some more poo breaking news this week. Oh, for fuck's sake. I, <laughs> I did, didn't go I looking know for it's this. The, no, I didn't. It, I know it's like the third week in a row, but I didn't. I swear. I, I was just, I found this on The Guardian, all right? So this Says is on The, the Guardian. Says the Joan of Arkham shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best meme ever. Okay. So I found this on The Guardian uh, a few days ago. The headline, Puseum, Tasmania <laughs> Museum. <laughs> Can I please? <laughs> Grow up, Jacob. Grow up. Puseum, Tasmania Museum dedicated to poo wins three-year battle over sign. Now, listen to this. I just got to read this to you because it's a glorious piece of writing by Matilda Bosley on The Guardian. A small Tasmanian museum dedicated to all things poo has won its years-long fight with its local council to display a sign depicting a penguin projectile pooing. (laughs) (laughs) The Pooseum, we're talking about poo is not taboo. (laughs) Yes, that's my motto. Contains a large selection of animal dropping displays and informative exhibitions explaining all the practical uses of dung in the wild and in modern society. And Mm. the 
owner of the Pooh uh, Pooseum was super psyched because she didn't think she was going to win this battle. And by the way, if you go to this Guardian article, we'll put the link in the show notes, the sign is so tame. Mm. It's like a little animated penguin bending over and there is just a street, like a long line coming out of its butt. Mm-hmm. Like you, it kind of even just looks like a piece of string. It does mm-hmm. not, but uh, anyway, the council got funny about it and she was actually going to just let them win. Like they wanted her to take the sign down. She couldn't be bothered arguing with them. So she was like, I was just going to let it go. But then I got another letter saying they didn't like the this, like, wait, what did she have? Like a bronze statue of something else pooing in the front yard. And she was like, no, you can take the sign, but you can't take the statue. They're, they're just going to take mm. everything poop. So then she was like, I've got to take a stand. <laughs> and so she took a stand and she won. Last week the council were like, yeah, this is an important part of the town, the museum, and we're letting you keep all your poo-related things that are uh, visual available to the public. So I, for one, have now got Tasmania's Puseum at like top five places to go, like in the world when I can travel. I, I'm desperate to see Tokyo. Mm-hmm. I'm desperate to like go to Vietnam and I'm desperate to go to the Puseum in Tasmania. I'm coming with you. <laughs> I'm so excited. I don't love toilet <laughs> humour that much, but I just think... I- I would have to go to that and I want to go and see you enjoy it because I know, I know. you will. I would, oh, I would love it. And you know what would just be amazing? Like doing a poo in the poo <laughs> I, no, as in like in the toilet. I'm assuming they have toilets. But would it, not just like just set up your own little table and <laughs> make us like make it an exhibit. I'm like no, Banksy. I, mean like, I just yeah. dropped this and left. <laughs> I dropped it and left. But wouldn't it be cool? You're like at the museum and you go to the toilet. You're like, lol, I'm pooing in the museum. <laughs> like it's all full circle. So meta. <laughs> it's all just, you know, life uh, and so on. Okay. <coughs> Britney stuff. Mm. Okay. So a lot has happened. I'll just tell you the biggest bits though, because we're not a Britney podcast, but it just, th- there's a lot of breaking news now. It's coming thick and fast every mm. week. So this past week, Britney got approved to pick her own lawyer. Mm. Yes. Um, and she got like this total hotshot mega entertainment guy who used to be a federal prosecutor. Like he is good. Mm-hmm. And this is after her lawyer, Sam Ingham, who we mentioned last week, just kind of freaked out and quietly resigned, like trying to do that Homer Simpson backing into the bush. I was mm. never here, even though he's been there for 10 years taking all her money. Yep. So she's got this amazing new lawyer. She's also made it very clear she would like her father charged with conservatorship abuse. Big mm. thing was that on her Instagram, she started for the first time ever using the free Britney hashtag herself. Yeah, that was huge. Which she's never done. Mm. And the other thing happened, I think just this morning is when I noticed it, Jamie Lynn, her little sister, who mm. everybody's thinking is a bit dodgy because they found out that she's actually been in control of a lot of the money. Yep. Oh, and by the way, like two weeks ago, like pretty much just after the uh, Britney got up and said her 20-minute thing in court and mm. it was all over the news and it was this massive thing, it gets announced that Jamie Lynn is writing a book called I Must Confess, Family, Fame and Figuring It Out. It's going to be released in January 2022 and it's already available for pre-order. 
Um, so I just find that, that thanks. gross, mm. exploitative. Also, like, uh oh, I'm probably going to be off this gravy train soon. Better mm. quickly write a book. Using the lyrics from one of her sister's most, like, from her sister's one of her most famous songs. Mm-hmm. So she's a bit gross. She yep. puts up a video like yesterday saying, you know, everyone, please, Jamie Lynn, that is, Mm. like stop all this speculation, leave our family alone. This is a really difficult time. Like I care for my sister, um, but, you know, this is private, blah, 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 blah. Brittany's not pleased with that. Mm. So about an hour or so after or a couple of hours after Jamie Lynn put up that video, Brittany posts a tile on her Instagram saying, never forget who ignored you when you needed them and who helped you before you even had to ask. And then underneath she wrote a caption Mm. that everybody thinks is aimed at Jamie Lynn. Ready? Mm -hmm. There's nothing worse than when people, the people closest to you who never showed up for you post things in regard to your situation, whatever it may be, and speak righteously for support. There's nothing worse than that. Exclamation pork, exclamation pork, exclamation pork. Mm-hmm. Um, how dare the people you love the most say anything at all? Did they even put a hand out to even lift me up at the time? How dare you make it public that now you care? Mm. Did you put your hand out when I was drowning? Again, no. So if you're reading this and you know who you are and you actually have the nerve to say anything about my situation just to save face for yourself publicly, if you're going to post something, please stop with the righteous approach when you're so far from righteous it's not even funny three middle finger emojis <gasps> and then because Britney's so sweet and have a good day ah <laughs> <laughs> i love her Burn, Jamie Lynn. this is sweet too p.s if you're reading this today and you can relate i'm sorry because i know what it's like and i send you my love oh. and then underneath there is literally 20,000 comments of people just writing, Jamie Lynn. Yeah. <laughs> so it's mm-hmm. Jamie Jamie Lynn, dodgy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I um, also started listening to this other podcast called Toxic and it's by the girls who run the Britney's Gram account. Mm-hmm. And see, the problem I find with Eat, Pray, Britney, which is like the, the podcast that has been covering this for a few years, mm. it's just it's really hard to go back like two years and listen to two years worth of Mm. two hour long episodes about all this detail about stuff. The Britney's Graham girls are the ones who started the hashtag free Britney. And so Mm. they have now started this podcast last week where they're just kind of breaking it down and summarizing it in a way that's really easy to follow, but still gives you enough detail that it's like, you're getting more than you would from other stuff. So I would go mm-hmm. listen to that. I've been finding that really good. Uh-huh. Cool. Good tip. Yeah. Thank you. Also, it's so funny. They tell the story about how they did the Free Britney thing and, like, they just had no idea it, that it was going to take off like that. And they tell mm. the story of what sort of happened afterwards and how they were threatened with um, legal action by her team. And mm. it's um pretty nuts. So they're the ones who that guy called in and blew this whole thing wide open. He said, I'm an intern at the law firm and I know that she's been held against her will for a while. And they like, they're like, we're not journalists, we're comedians. So we just played the voicemail on our mm. podcast. And it's, yeah, it's really interesting. Everyone should go listen to it. Cool. I'm in. Okay. That's all All our Britney Breaker news this week. A couple other quick things. The mm-hmm. Belle Gibson documentary that aired on BBC last week mm. is going to be on ABC um, 
Monday. I guess that's tonight because this is coming out Monday. Yep. ABC, 9.30 p.m. It's called Bad Influencer. Can't wait. I'm so excited. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Mm. No one's done a documentary about her yet. Mm. Okay, so I'm pretty sure that's it. Everyone get vaccinated if you can. My sister's doing a lot of them a day, like Mm. at where she, so she's doing it at a couple of places. She does it at this clinic and she also does it at the Homebush like um, hub place. At the Homebush place, they're doing like 7,000 a day. Mm -hmm. They are working their butts off and at their clinic, it's just, yeah, they're doing so many. Um, So if you can, please do. Yeah. I think a lot of us felt like we had the luxury of time because it didn't look like there was such Mm. a risk of outbreaks happening again here in Australia. But now we've really learned our lesson. We need to get onto it Mm. as quickly as we can. And I will say, because I had my second shot yesterday, I got the Pfizer shot because I'm immunocompromised. And so that's just the one that I, I didn't even get to I, I had no problem getting AstraZeneca, but they just plonked me in that one because of my um, health stuff. And I was really scared to get it because I'm okay with needles, the ones where they, you know, slip it in like to take blood or whatever. Mm. But I hate the ones where they stick it directly into your muscle like this one, like a shot. Mm. And so I was really scared. I got the first shot like a few weeks ago. I swear to God, the nurse said, okay. And I said, okay, you're going to put it in. And she said, no, I, it's done. <laughs> <laughs> like I did not, I'm not exaggerating. I did not feel it. Mm. And the only thing I had the next day was like a sore arm. It kind of feels like you've gone too hard at the gym. Mm-hmm. And then I got my second one. Yes. <laughs> you know what that feels like? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shut up. As soon as you laughed, I was like, F you, F you. Oh my god! I was telling I was telling Jacob before you guys that um my <laughs> my physio my physio for my hip is like legit important. Mm. He actually is away right now because he's going to Tokyo for the Olympics because mm. he is like one of the official physios on the Australian Olympic team and has been since forever. Like in his office, he's got like. Thank you for being our physio at the 2000 Olympics, 2004 Olympics, 2008. Like he's literally Mm. been this important physio on the Australian Olympic team for 20 years. Mm. And he asked me to do a squat and my knees like creaked (laughs) so loudly that he went, what was that? I was like, oh my God. (laughs) I am like, (laughs) I'm your least impressive client by like what would have to be um, uh, 10 miles. Yeah. Like, it's a big margin. <laughs> he literally works with Olympians and I can't even do a single squat. It's, <laughs> I can't, it's, it's humiliating every time I go there, but he's amazing. And my hip feels a lot better because of what the work he's been doing with me. So thank you very much. So yes, mm-hmm. I don't know what it feels like to have a sore arm from the gym. Okay. <laughs> but I imagine and Anyway, I got my second Pfizer shot yesterday Mm. and um, they say that the second shot is when you may get the symptoms that knock you out a little bit, like maybe Mm. you get feel a bit feverish or fluish or whatever. But um, I feel okay. I've got a sore arm again, but other than that, I feel okay. And again, yesterday, didn't even feel it. It's so quick. Mm -hmm. And they give you a sticker and then you go home. And that was breaking news. Okay. 
your turn this week. Yes, it is. And I got to tell you, at some point, I'm going to have to open the doors on this car. Everyone, I'm the only place that I could find a combination of quietude and good phone reception is in a car park at a beach here at Cape Tribulation that no one else seems to know about. So I'm nice and isolated, but you might hear some strange background noises. Um, You'll hear birds, you'll hear bugs, and every now and then you might hear some bogans. Um, But (laughs) yeah, I'm doing a Sarah Marshall and I've turned my car into a semi-soundproof booth this week, but it's lacking no, oxygen it- and I can do the um, Titanic hand on the steam on the glass oh, no. thing mm, already. So maybe we'll just take Oh, go a- on. You just, let, you just let me talk for half an hour about poo and nonsense. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're like in an oven. <laughs> Suffocating. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, let's close the door. Let's do this. Okay, got All some right. air. So this week I'm going a little bit mystical for the first time. Ah. I'm serving up a story that's widely believed to be the most definitive evidence of reincarnation that the world has ever seen. It's the story of this little girl in India who remembered her past life in such vivid detail that it was officially declared by the Indian government that she was living proof that our souls are recycled again and again. And she was studied by experts from all around the world, a lot of whom were very sceptical, but none of whom were ever able to conclusively debunk or disprove (gasps) her story. It's the story of Shanti Devi. And you look pretty excited. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I already look sceptical. All right. So I think we've already established that. You don't believe in reincarnation, but do you believe in any life after death? I believe that there may be some kind of other dimension according to science that we don't yet understand. Mm -hmm. Like I think if there is something else, I don't think it's mystical. I think it's probably a part of the life force and a part of how maybe our atoms work or something that Mm. we just don't have the capacity to understand yet. That's what I think. Like I, I don't, I don't, I'm not religious at all. I'm not, I just, I, I, I'm not totally against the idea of it, of some other form of life after this physical life being real. But I think if it is real, it's probably more to do with, you know, just science than it is to do with ghosts. Yeah. And well, how about you? I'm right there with you. I think we just don't know. And we have yeah, we don't probably know. no way of ever knowing. And we're only going to find out when our lives are over. I think it is after death, the same as before you were born. And I'm totally okay with that. But I can understand what, like why. Like just nothing? Just nothingness. Yeah. That's Mm. what I'm anticipating. I can absolutely understand, though, why people have such a strong desire and have had such a strong desire for so many thousands of years to come up with something that's a bit more substantial than that. So it's not just a matter of, you know, such a precious, unique personality disappearing after a life's been Mm. lived. Um, Do you want to know there are two, two times in my life that things happened that I cannot explain. Mm. Do you want to know what they are? That makes me think maybe. Mm. Okay. 
So I think you already know these I anyway. I do, yeah. <clears throat> so when my dad, my dad died when I was eight and I didn't know yet and I woke up in the morning I'd had a dream the night before and I was standing with my mum and my sister and um, my mum's eyes were all red, like, so she'd been crying and we were looking at my dad and everything was white, like white. I don't know where we were, like, but it just didn't look like we were in a place. Like it just sort of looked like everything was kind of white and he was wearing white and my mum was crying and he was sort of like, saying goodbye. He wasn't really talking Mm. or waving or anything. It wasn't like, bye. It was just, I could tell that he was going somewhere Mm. and my mum was really upset that he was going. And I was like looking at my mum, she was crying. And I remember thinking, oh, my dad's going somewhere. And I woke up in the morning and didn't really think anything of it. And I was in the shower getting ready for school and my mum was in the bathroom and she was looking in the bathroom mirror and her eyes were really red, like she'd been crying just like they were red in my dream. And I immediately in the shower thought, oh, my dad's died. Mm -hmm. And then I got out of the shower. My mum sat me and my sister down on the couch and she told us, that our dad had died and my sister burst into tears and my mum was crying. And I remember I was just sitting there like, like I just, I felt like I, I already knew. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I cannot explain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then thing number two, thing number two, Tony and I went to something called Paracon, which is a paranormal conference. Mm-hmm. And it was full of nutters. It, it was amazing. Mm. I loved it because he believed in all that junk and I don't believe in any of it. And one night there was one of those like, um, what's that guy who talks to dead people? The famous John, one, John Edwards. Yeah. There was like one of those people. Mm. And we went to this session and I totally was like cynical about it. Tony was so into it. Mm. Tony was one of the people who was like desperate for this woman to like find some connection. And anyway, she started talking about things that made me go, oh shit, that's, that sounds like my dad. Like Mm. just things like she knew his first name. She knew that his middle name was, she just knew things that, you know, in hindsight, those people are very good at just saying generic details that you then like put your own thing on. And and so I, so when I I sort of very, Tony was like, Oh my God, she's talking about your dad. And Mm. I was like, all right. I was like, yeah, it sounds like my dad. Um, And everything she was saying was kind of generic until she said a couple of things that I don't know how she would know. First of all, she mentioned something about the way he died and connected it to my mother in a way that would that was just an incredibly specific thing mm. like that because you know he was obviously an extreme alcoholic and she was like you know your mum is is going this if she's not careful she'll she's heading the same direction and yep. so that was like extremely specific i was like oof mm. okay and the other thing she said was oh he's um showing me a birthday cake he's saying happy birthday. And it was my birthday the next day. Mm. So I was like, woofed. Okay. And then she said, he's um, wanting me to remind you about the troll toy he got you for your birthday one year that you really loved. A tro- She's like a troll, a toy, like a hairy thing. And he did one year get me a treasure troll. Mm. 
a troll doll, the one with the little gem on its belly that I, it's one of the only things he ever got me that I kept. And mm. so I have it on my shelf always. And it was on my shelf at home. And I was like, that's weird. And then, okay. I, this is where it sounds crazy. Mm. And I, I'm skeptical still. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Tony and I drove home from Paracon and I had just been like, uh, whatever, whatever. Like, you know, troll dolls were big. She could have said Polly Pocket. She could have said Barbie. Like, it, who knows? In the 90s, every kid had a troll doll. We get home. Tony and I walk into the apartment together. Mm-hmm. He did not have time to get in there before me. Okay. Mm-hmm. We walk into the apartment together. He goes into his room. I go into my room. I turn the light on and that troll doll is sitting in the middle of the carpet on the floor. Mm. And I always kept it on this shelf and I freaked. Mm. And that night me and Tony slept together in his bedroom because we were both so scared. (laughs) (laughs) And I've never been able to explain it. Like people were like, Tony must have done it because he really wanted you to believe. And I was like, but he was with me. And then people have been like, maybe he called someone. And so I said to my sisters, effing tell me, Mm. did Tony call you? Did you go to the house? Did you do that? They were like, no, they didn't have keys Mm. anyway. And like Tony has since died. So, I mean... I'll never know. You'll never know. Was Did you have Boo at the time? Yes, but, and yes, this was another thing we thought, maybe Boo knocked it, but mm. it was where it was compared to the shelf, it was too far away from the shelf because that was a really big bedroom. Mm. And also it was standing up mm. in the middle of the floor. Mm. <laughs> but then also... If ghosts or spirits or people who are in some other dimensional realm have the capacity to pick up a troll doll and put it in the middle of the floor, why don't they just have the capacity to go, hey, I'm here? Yeah. And I'll, like, you know what I mean? It's (laughs) always these esoteric, abstract things that you have to piece together. Yeah. Mm. So, yes, I will say that. Those are the two things in my life that I've not been able to explain, both to do with my dad, both quite creepy, but I'm still cynical even in the face of those. Mm-hmm. And look, I've got stories from members of my family and some of my friends Ooh, tell that one. are sort of similar. Oh, well, one of my cousins, she's so tuned in to the spirit world and the amount of times yeah. that she's told stories of actually seeing spirits of people that she knows and people that she has never met before. Yeah. Um, and usually it's a multi-sensory thing as well. So she'll hear, see and smell the person. Um, it's usually the smell that comes on first that draws her attention, then the sound and then the sight. Um and some what see what sometimes at night sometimes during the day she'll see sort of a faint vision of the person which she sometimes recognizes very clearly recognizes their voice the way they look and the way that they smell and sometimes oh. they're like total strangers to her do you believe that or do you think your friends are nutter or you can't say on air tell me afterwards do you think she's crazy nod or shake your head <laughs> <laughs> i don't think she's crazy i mean she uh, she lives a completely normal life 
you know, it's not like yeah. she pre- has a career that's based around being a medium or something. She's making no money out of this whatsoever. It's It doesn't seem like it's any sort of scam. It just seems like something that, you know, she feels really grateful that she's got this ability that very few of us have. Um, I have always sort of thought that, oh, you know, there could be all sorts of different optical illusions happening and the human brain's yeah. weird as well. Like all of those senses are controlled by the neurons that are inside your skull and sometimes those neurons can misfire and make you think that you're seeing, hearing and smelling things that aren't actually there. Mm. Um, so I feel like that's a pretty reasonable explanation for it. But they, they're usually pretty detailed when she provides the descriptions. Mm-mm-mm. So, I don't, well, this is the longest we've ever talked before getting to an actual story, but that's because this stuff is so fun to talk about. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. everybody loves talking about this stuff. Yeah. So, that was a long way of saying, look, I, I don't have a firm belief in what happens after we die. I think that it's nothing is the most likely answer. Mm. However, a lot of people, billions and billions of people, have very different beliefs to me. Mm, mm, so let's mm. see how this story influences your own belief, Jisners. Shanti oh. Devi. Ooh, okay. So she was born in December of 1926 in Delhi, India. And according to her parents, she was always quite an unusual kid. She always seems to be very anxious and confused and uncomfortable and agitated. She was very rarely playful, mostly always quite serious, and she didn't really bond with her siblings. She liked to be alone, and she didn't speak at all until she was four years old. Her parents Mm. thought she was probably mute. They had her checked out by a doctor. The doctor couldn't find anything medically wrong with her. And then just after her fourth birthday, she suddenly started speaking, but not in a childish way. She started using quite lengthy, articulate sentences. But Mm. she was speaking partly in a dialect that her family didn't understand, which sort of threw them a little bit. And then what they did understand also was a bit weird. The first thing that they clocked that was strange was when she started asking for a picture of the Hindu god Krishna. She said that Mm. she'd always had it on the wall above her bed. She'd prayed to it every morning and every night. And she was weeping and begging day after day to have the picture back, which was strange because she'd never had a picture of Krishna in the house ever. How old is she again at this point? Four. Oh, she's still four. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, Her mum just sort of shrugged it off as this little work of her imagination, but it did seem a bit strange to her as well that Shanti even knew about Krishna because she'd never been taught about the Hindu god Krishna. Then Shanti's older sister started to complain that Shanti was always bossing her around and using these strange words that she didn't understand, so that was a little bit troubling. And then Shanti started to get very direct and she would tell her family they were not her relatives. She said explicitly that she was a Brahmin wife from a place called Mutra and she needed to get back to her husband. Brahmin is like one of the um, social castes in India and it's the top social caste. Again, her family thought, okay, so this is just a work of her imagination. She's pretending. This is a game. Mm. She's 
you know, making believe that she's a high-status woman with a husband. Yeah. And she's invented a place called Mutra because they'd never heard of a place called Mutra. She started to get more and more stroppy. She refused to eat any of her mother's cooking. She told her family in Mutra, we don't eat meat, we only follow a sattvic diet. They had no idea how she'd learned the word sattvic. They'd never taught it Mm. to her. It's a specific type of vegetarian diet. Yeah, so, like, because I was going to say, at this point, it sounds like she's just being a a precocious little kid who's, like, pretending to be a princess Mm. and taking the fantasy too far, except for the fact she knows about words and things that Mm. she has no way of knowing. That's where you're like, what? That's right, yeah. The next sort of troubling thing was when she started demanding her real clothes. She refused to wear the clothes that she had and she wanted her favourite red silk sari. And just to try to calm her down, her mother went out and bought her a red silk sari and Mm. Shanti just rejected it, saying it wasn't good enough quality silk. (laughs) And she would know because she was married to a wealthy silk merchant. And again, just you know, brattish sort of behaviour. Yeah. Then one day she announced that she was pregnant and she needed to get back to Mutra in time (laughs) to give birth. And by this time, she'd remembered more specific details like her name. She was telling people her name was Lugdi Devi, that she was 23 years old, that she was her husband's second wife. He owned a silk trading business in a place called Mutra. He wore glasses and had a wart on his left cheek. She'd had a miscarriage, but now she was pregnant again and she needed to get back to her husband and get back to her life. She would plead with people to take her back to Mutra. Mm. Now, the family continued to try to sort of ignore this. As Hindus, they did believe in reincarnation, but part of their belief system meant that if you were to remember a past life, that was very, very bad luck. It was a sign of really bad karma. Oh, something's gone wrong. That's right. It meant that your ego was so big in your previous life that you refused to let go. Oh, okay. Mm. Um, And you clearly had not evolved enough in your previous life to make it into nirvana or heaven. And so it was kind of considered to be a curse. And children who remembered a past life usually had a very difficult time of things and died very young partly because of the fact that they were ostracised from their community because they were considered to be such a bad omen. So the family just went into a state of denial. They tried to keep all the things that Shanti was saying secret. They didn't want anyone to know that they had a quote-unquote cursed daughter, so they kept her very sheltered for the next few years, hoping this was just a phase she was going to grow out of. Mm. Inevitably, though, she had to go to school when she was six. When Mm. she got there, she was ostracised by the kids because she acted and spoke exactly like a woman (laughs) in her 20s. That's awesome, though. (laughs) She was, like, telling the kids off for being childish and talking about her husband to her schoolmates and to her teachers. And so she was teased and she was bullied. And then one day Mm. after a couple of years, she decided she'd had enough of this rubbish and decided she was going to run away. She left school in the middle of the day and decided that she, a little eight-year-old girl, was going to walk all the way from Delhi back to her old life if she had to. Mm. One of her parents' friends, fortunately, a lawyer named Tarachan Matur, spotted her walking alone in the street and asked her where she was going. And she said she was going to Mutra so that she could be back with her husband. 
Tara Chand thought Shanti was joking, so he had a little bit of a giggle, which just made Shanti angry. But then Tara Chand, through further conversation with her, ended up being the first person to recognise that Mutra actually was a real place. Mutra was the name that locals who lived in Mathura called their city. Mm. And he asked Shanti why she wanted to go to Mathura and she let loose and told him everything. She told him about her life as Lugdi, her husband, her home, her real family. By this point, she remembered that she wasn't pregnant when she died. She had given birth to a son and she remembered that she died of complications nine days after giving birth. Mm-hmm. Tara Chand this lawyer friend, was totally convinced. He took her home to her parents, told them he believed that she truly was the reincarnation of Lugdi. He explained that Mutra was a real place after all and that the strange words that Shanti had been using were all part of the local dialect there and that everyone in Mutra or Mathura follows a sattvic diet. He told them they needed to start (laughs) listening to her and they started They needed to start doing something to try to help her, but they didn't really know what helping her would involve. But they stopped shutting her down when she would talk about these things. They'd actually listen to her. They indulged her when she would tell them things like the details of her wedding day, very specific details about her medical conditions and the procedures that she'd gone through to treat her arthritis. She told Mm. them the names of Lugdi's mother and father. The only detail that she refused to give them was the name of her husband. It was considered taboo, and still is in parts of India, for a wife to ever utter her husband's name in public. So she would never say the husband's name of Lugdi Devi. Day after day, she gave more and more details. Shanti's parents documented all of them. And then one day they got a visit from Shanti's headmaster and teacher at school. Mm. They obviously noticed how strangely Shanti had always been acting and they felt that it was time for them to come and offer some help. They believed the best thing to do would be to try to find out whether this Lugdi woman had ever lived, really. Was she a real person? They were happy to get involved in the investigation. They asked Shanti questions all about her old life. She gave them the whole story, including for the first time, somewhat begrudgingly, she gave them the name of the husband, Kedar Nath Chalbay. She told them they could find him in the ninth house on a street named after his family, Chalbay Street in Mathura. Yep. The exact house. Correct. So... They wrote Mr. Kedar Nath a letter and sent it off to number nine Chow Bay Street in Mathura, asking if he'd ever been married to a woman named Lugdi Devi and if he could verify any of the claims that Shanti was making about her past life. And it turned out there was a Kedar Nath mm. Chow Bay who lived at nine Chow Bay Street in Mathura. And he mm-hmm. wrote back confirming, yes. He did have a wife named Lugdi Devi who had died in 1925, the year before Shanti was born, at the age of 23, nine days after giving birth to their son. Mm-hmm. And he was a bit sceptical about this little girl. He contacted his cousin, a guy called Kanji Mal, who lived in Delhi, and asked him to go and visit Shanti's family and check out whether or not this seemed like it was a scam. 
So mm. Kanji Mal popped by unannounced at Shanti's house. The teachers knew that he was coming, but they hadn't told Shanti's parents that they could expect a guest. As soon as Shanti saw him, she jumped up, hugged him, and said, You're my husband's cousin. At <gasps> first, she couldn't remember his name, but... To prove that she remembered him, she gave details about his life. She remembered that he'd lived with Lugdi and Kedarnath while he was looking to buy a house when he was young. That was true. She also mm. teased him for the fact that he'd had a crush on Lugdi when he was younger, mm -hmm. which he admitted to. And then Kanji Mal started to quiz her about how well she remembered Kedarnath. And he asked her how many brothers Kedarnath had. She was correct when she answered he has one older brother. So Kanji Mal was convinced not just by what Shanti was saying, but also by her mannerism. She acted very much like he remembered Lugdi. Then yeah. the cherry on top was when at the end of their interaction, Shanti spontaneously remembered Kanji Mal's name. So he wrote to his cousin Kedarnath and told him this has to be the real deal. You need to come and visit this little girl mm. because I really do believe it's Lugdi. So the following week, Kedarnath got on a train to Delhi. He arrived at Shanti's house and as a way of trying to trick the family, he introduced mm. himself as his brother Ram, the older brother. Ah, okay. As soon as Shanti saw him though, she walked over to stand beside him she bowed her head and said, no, you are Kedarnath, you are my husband. She recognised him partly because he was wearing glasses and had a wart on his left cheek, just as she had been saying for years. Kedarnath. Imagine a six-year-old coming over to you going, you're my husband. Uh -huh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, even freakier, can you imagine how the nine-year-old son felt because he had this little girl hugging him and weeping him, it freaked him out completely. Nanika, mm. the son that Lugdi had given birth to and then died nine days later, was now confronted with this little girl who was claiming to be his mother. Mm. After he'd had a little freak out, eventually he settled down and sat with the family and they all had a chat and Shanti started sharing secret information that she'd never shared prior to that moment. And they mm. all were things that only Lugdi could have known. She said that Kedarnath had promised Lugdi on her deathbed that he'd never remarry and she asked him why he'd broken that promise. And he mm. acted very shameful about the fact that he'd broken the promise and remarried. She also said that she'd seen Kedarnath having sex with Lugdi's live-in nurse while she was oh dying, <gasps> and he confessed to that. Then at one point in the evening, this is kind of creepy, Shanti and Kedarnath had been left alone to have a conversation. In mm. that conversation, she described to Kedarnath the particular position that they used to have intercourse in when they were ah! trying to conceive their child because sex was very difficult for them because of Lugdi's arthritis. Right, she okay. also recalled that Kedarnath had continued to force himself on her even when she was really unwell and dying. And yeah. Kedarnath wept and acknowledged that all of this was true. He begged for forgiveness. And, of course, he was totally convinced that, yes, this had to be Lugdi based on all the things that she knew. It had to be the reincarnation mm -hmm. of his wife. Word got out very quickly, spread throughout the city, throughout the country, and then around the world. The 
parents agreed to go public with the story because this was undeniable proof of reincarnation in their minds. And they sort of positioned her as being a miracle because she reaffirmed the beliefs of billions of people that after we die, our souls go through a process yeah. of reincarnation. Yeah. There was a bit of a media frenzy, which only intensified when Mahatma Gandhi came to visit her at home ah, in Delhi. Really? Yes. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, Gandhi was a political and spiritual leader in India. At this mm. time, he was leading the movement to make India independent from the British Empire. I won't go into it now, but he was all also a terrible sex pest. Um, mm, mm, mm. You can go look that up if you want to find out about it. But Shanti and her family met with Gandhi, like probably the most prominent person in India at the time, for a few hours. Shanti sat on his lap and told him all the details of her past life as Lugdi and all of her experiences in this life. And mm. Gandhi's recommendation was that Shanti should go to Mathura, Lugdi's hometown, and find out as much information as they could. He said there's no use trying to hide from the truth. And they need to just go and find out how much she really remembered, even if that meant taking her back to Mathura would end up in Shanti wanting to stay there and return to her life as Lugdi. Yeah, but she can't. She's six. She can't be a wife to a grown man. <laughs> By this time, she's eight, and I'm not oh, sure okay. at this oh, time. Oh, over the hill, basically. Oh, wait, so what is Child it, the bride? 20s? Yeah. Mm. No, but I don't think, not that young. I th you have to be childbearing, don't you, to at least be a bride? That's the whole point of it. Sickening. Childbearing age. 12, 13? Something for us to research. I really don't know. Uh, okay. At any rate, she couldn't really have gone back to being married to Kedar Nath anyway because he had a new wife. He had a new wife, yeah. Yeah. The other thing that Gandhi agreed to do was hire a team of investigators to accompany Shanti to Lugdi's hometown so they could observe mm. her and see how much she really did remember her past. Because yeah. all they had to go off at this stage was the stories of Shanti, her parents, Kanji Mal and Kedar Nath. So you would have to believe all of them. Can I tell you what I'm suspecting so far? Do, please. That one of her parents knew this, like somehow knew this guy, knew the story of this guy, whatever, and they're feeding her all the information. I feel like that could be true as well. Yes. Like I, that seems like it makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. And that's why she forgets certain things, you know, because she's only a kid. Yeah. And it also sounds like the fact that she was nonverbal for a while and then she was incredibly, you know, articulate and it sounds maybe like she's on the spectrum, which they didn't know what that was back then. Mm. And so that might explain why she has certain um, sort of uh, extraordinary abilities in certain areas, like, mm. for example, language and like retaining information and Mm -hmm. And I just, yeah, I think one of her parents is setting this up. Yep. But, okay. Yep. And look, Continue. Gandhi had the same <laughs> level of scepticism. That's why he yeah. said, look, right now we just have to believe all of you people that she used the word sattvic and that she talked yeah. about her picture of Krishna and that she remembered the details of the sex life that she had with her husband. There mm. were no other witnesses apart from these individuals. So... This investigation was intended to prove or disprove what she was claiming. 
So mm. that November, Shanti Devi or Lugdi finally got to go to Mathura or Mutra. A team mm. of 15 observers were instructed to watch and listen to everything, but they were not to interact with anyone. They were just to take notes and pay attention. And they needed to be on the lookout for any signs that Shanti might be being coached or fed information as well. Yeah. When the train arrived at the station in Mathura, as soon as she got off the train, there was a crowd there waiting for her. In that crowd, Shanti uh, spotted a man she recognised and spontaneously ran up to him and hugged his legs. And she announced to the crowd that this was her slash Lugdi's brother-in-law, Kedarnath's Mm -hmm. only sibling. She asked him if he'd been able to keep her holy basil plant alive and he confirmed that Lugdi had given him a holy basil plant to take care of before her death. I mean, look, again, it was what, about 1930 or something by now. They Mm -hmm. had photos then, so they could have shown her photos. Potentially. Uh, Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. They hadn't left the station yet. When the Uh time came for them to leave, Shanti was told it was up to her to direct the group to navigate the city. She decided to start by taking the group to the first home that she and Kadarnath had lived in when they got married. She described Mm. it as a little yellow house and said she knew exactly where it was. So the group got into a few taxis. Shanti instructed the driver where to turn left, where to turn right. And as they were driving along, she kept pointing out things that had changed in the city over the last decade, new buildings, new Mm -hmm. businesses, etc. She told the cab to stop when they were close enough to walk the rest of the way and everyone got out. As the group was approaching the house, Shanti again spotted a man she knew and ran over to him and kissed his hands. She Mm. introduced him to the group as her father-in-law, Kedarnath's dad, and told them that he'd given Lugdi a set of ankle bracelets, which she'd always cherished. She then recalled details of the conversation that they'd had on the day when he'd given her the anklets, and he confirmed to the crowd that it was all accurate. Mm Mm-hmm. A few hundred metres away, they got to the house and, oops, it wasn't yellow, it was white. And Shanti was very (laughs) confused by this because she was adamant that it used to be yellow. And when Mm -hmm. they spoke to the tenant who lived there, it turned out that she was correct because it was the tenant who had painted the house white when he moved in. He didn't like the yellow. He then allowed Shanti to lead a tour through the home before they then headed off to the next stop, which was 9 Chaobei Street, the place where Mm -hmm. she lived when she died. When they arrived there, Shanti again spotted someone from Lugdi's life and unprompted she sprinted over to him and hugged him. She correctly identified him as Lugdi's brother, Natura. Not only Mm -hmm. did she know his name, she remembered the names of their two other brothers. The group went inside, Kedarnath and his wife and son were all there, and the first place that Shanti led the group of observers to was her secret hiding spot where she kept a stash of money under some floorboards under the bed. She lifted up the floorboards, the money was gone, and Shanti Mm. asked Kedarnath what he'd done with the money and if he'd actually given it to the church, to the Temple of Krishna, as she'd requested Mm. before she died. Kedarnath sort of shamefully admitted that he'd actually had to use the money to pay for Lugdi's funeral. And Mm -hmm. Shanti acted very annoyed that he hadn't used the money the way that she wanted him to. And next thing she wanted to know was what happened to her jewellery collection. 
Kate Arnath said that he'd given it all to his new wife. Shanti asked if she could see the wife's jewellery collection. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And piece by piece, she went through it in front of the observers, pointing out which pieces belonged to Lugdi. And Kate Mm -hmm. Arnath's new wife confirmed that Shanti was 100% correct, which ones were the hand-me-downs and which ones were her own. So she knows everything about everything. That's right. Yep. (laughs) Okay. Then they went off to find Lugdi's childhood home. Shanti directed Uh the taxi there. Inside the home, a group of people were waiting. Shanti correctly identified Lugdi's mother and father, introduced them by name. Then they went Mm. off to their final stop on the tour, which was the Temple of Krishna. Shanti led Mm. the group there, went inside to seek guidance from Krishna. Outside, there was a pretty big crowd of onlookers. Uh, There were lots of reporters from all around the country, as well as just a lot of curious looky-loos who were fascinated Mm. by the story. And this whole thing had become quite a spectacle. When Shanti and her observers came out of the temple, Shanti, eight years old, addressed this huge crowd of hundreds of people. (laughs) She told them how much she loved her life in Mathura as Lugdi, how much she loved her family, but said that Krishna had advised her she needed to go back to Delhi and live her new life as Shanti Devi with her new family. Oh, what a surprise. So the whole group caught the train back to Delhi and a few... Are there photos of that when she was, if the press was there and stuff, are there photos of her addressing the crowd or anything? No, I haven't been able to find them. If anyone is able to do better sleuthing than I've been able to do, I would love to see them. I would also love to read the report that came out a few months later, the investigate, we love this word, investigative team. (laughs) Investigative team. There you go. Thanks. They announced their findings and reported that based on all the evidence they'd witnessed, the claims of Lugdi's reincarnation were legitimate. Mahatma Gandhi endorsed the findings and the government made it official Reincarnation was real, and this case was proof. Mm. But that okay. I still just think she's a very outstanding, talented young kid whose parents are in on it with this dude. That's the thing. I think either this is all legit and true. Yeah. Or everyone involved in this is lying. The mother, yeah, because the I think father, yeah, they the realize how outstanding she is and that she has this brilliant skill to retain mm-hmm. information and all that kind of stuff and they were like how can we utilize this? Bam, scam. Mhm. The thing that believers will point to is the fact that no one really benefited from this financially at least. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. What are they getting? What I think is a possibility is they are creating a lot more credence for their religion at a time when there was a lot of conflict between Muslims and Hindus in Uh India. And it may have been a way of them sort of proving that one of the cornerstones of their religion was true and then Mm. strengthened the beliefs of all the people who did believe in their religion as a way of sort of helping to solidify their position within the country, if that makes sense. Sure. Potentially. But why would you pull off a big scam just for the selfless act of promoting your religion? Mm. Um, I don't... 
Okay. Okay. Keep going. This whole thing got the world's attention. Reporters, psychiatrists, paranormal investigators, hypnotists, they descended from every continent onto Delhi and Matura, scrambling to get interviews with everyone who was involved. So the story was very well reported, but I think it was probably also distorted by all the different storytellers that well yeah that's why I asked the world. That's why I asked if there were any photos of her like, oh, and she got up and addressed this crowd as an Mm. eight-year-old. It's like, or is that just how the story, the legend has morphed over the years? Like Mm -hmm. this was the, what, 1930 or whatever you said. Like, so I, who knows? Yeah. We know this in inverted commas from Shanti herself, from Shanti's younger brother who was there, from uh-huh. Tarachan Matur, the lawyer who found her on the street that day. He was also there when it happened. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're all involved in the story and they're yes. all invested in exactly. perpetuating the story, you could assert, I suppose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the reporters who went there had the express intention of finding holes and inconsistencies in the story and debunking and disproving it, which, like I said, no one's ever been able to do. And mm. one of the reporters who visited from Sweden was really hoping to do a bit of gotcha journalism because he thought the whole thing was just a sham and a fraud. Um, he spent months and months investigating, couldn't find any evidence to support his beliefs. And in the end, he was so convinced that the whole thing was legit that he reported back to the world in several articles that Shanti Devi is the reincarnation of Lugdi Devi. And he even ended up writing Shanti's biography in the 90s. (laughs) She lived up until 1987. I feel like it's a really good marketing ploy, though, to say, I was such a skeptic and then I was so convinced that I had to write a book about it you should buy it. Um, she lived to 87. I'm not good at maths. How old was she when she died? 61. That's young. Mm. That's really young. Yeah, I'm not sure what she died of, but I do know that she maintained her story was 100% true right up until the day that she died. She really? went on to become a spiritual teacher. Uh, she wanted to share her knowledge of the other side and of the afterlife. She never got married because she felt that mm. as Lugdi, she'd already been married um, and it wouldn't be right for her to marry again. See, that's interesting because I get that, like, they, if they'd roped her into it as a little kid, um, you know, I get that she went along with it, but then it's interesting that she stuck with it. Yes. Like if it was a scam, you think maybe at some point when she's like 15 or 16, she would have gone like, my parents made me do that. Yeah. But she stuck with it. Unless all of the things had somehow been subconsciously imprinted into her when she was hypnotized mm. or something, then she would have or, had to you know, know it was a scam. Yeah, maybe by that point, she it's, you know, it's what makes her special. Mm. So why would you want to? Tell. Yeah, because oh, interesting. She, she had global interest for the rest of her life. Yeah. She agreed to give interviews right up until a few days before she died. And mm-hmm. a lot of people were keen to come and interview her and she was very happy to talk. And So she did get something out of it then? Oh, yeah, I'm sure she was being paid. She didn't become wealthy by any means. No one involved but in the story became of. wealthy. No one started up a cult or anything. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, she maybe, may have ended up living a more comfortable life. Maybe. I don't know what the higher up in, like, the Hindu 
hierarchy of their religion is, mm-hmm. like, you know, like the Pope or whatever. Mm-hmm. Is that Gandhi? Was that Mahatma Gandhi? Or? No, it's not centralised in that way. Oh, okay. Well, no. I'm not sure, but maybe it was people in Hinduism or whatever who said, okay, let's do this, and if you guys are willing to do this, like, we'll take care of you for the rest of your lives. Like, maybe it was, a de- like, a deal on the DL. Mm. Potentially. But you said that, like, there was the tension between Hindus and Muslims and they may have done it to, like, further legitimise their religion. Mm. So maybe it went all the way to the top, whatever the top is. Could be the case. Yeah. But, like you said, with the growing up and continuing to stick to the story, that's interesting because most kids who remember their past life, they start to lose all of their memories around the time that they hit puberty. Whereas Mm. Shanti Devi's memories started to become more and more clear and she claimed that she could even start to remember Lugdi's funeral and that her spirit stayed with the body until the body was cremated. She described what it felt and looked like in the intermission between Lugdi's death and then Shanti's birth. She even described what it was like being in the womb. She said it was very, very stinky and unpleasant. Um, (laughs) mm -hmm. That's what you think vaginas are like. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Um, But, I mean, that just means as she got older, she got more creative at spinning this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because like I, I said, you can't you can't disprove a negative. You can't disprove something that doesn't exist. So like she's telling you things that there's no way to say if it is or isn't true because she's just it's she's just saying it's true. So you can't prove yeah. that it's not. Yeah, exactly. People tried through all different forms of hypnosis and I mean, this is how religion, all sorts of different th- people. This is how religion works. That's why it's based on faith. Like you say, I do not believe that is true. And people go, well, it is to me. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, I can't, I can't prove that it's not. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, you know, you and I are sitting here finding it difficult to believe that it's true. But there are literally billions of people out there who believe that this case proves that reincarnation is real and they accept everything that's presented to them in this story as objective fact. And that's partly because of religious reasons. Well, yeah, but there are billions of people who believe all weird religious things. Mm. And something I found strange as well, like 20% of people who identify as Christians who are meant to believe in the heaven or hell model of an afterlife Mm. say that they believe in past lives. A fifth, Mm -hmm. one in five, Mm. um, including famously Shirley MacLaine, who has (laughs) written several books and done (laughs) lots of interviews about the details of all the past lives that she can remember. Oh, God, YouTube Shirley MacLaine past lives and you will go down some kooky-ass rabbit holes. She is a she is chaotic energy right there. Mm. Love, love me a bit of Shirley MacLaine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's the story as it wraps up and I think you and I are on the same page where we find it easier to believe that Not this convinced. was a scam. <laughs> Not convinced it was a scam. It was a scam. I think she reminds me a bit of um, the lady in the Russian woods, Agavia. 
Gavia, what's her name? Like that, of. you know, like of something was she was indoctrinated with something as a child and stuck with it her whole mm. life till she died. Yep. Because partly because maybe she did truly believe it or come to believe it. Also partly because she was getting help because of it, also mm. like Agavia. Also partly because it had become her identity and who she was. Mm. Like, it, yeah. Well, before we all make up our minds, I think that it's worth having a little bit of a dig into a guy called Dr. Ian Stevenson. He was an mm-hmm. American psychiatrist who spent 40 years gathering data on thousands of claims of reincarnation from all around the world. Yeah. Of those cases, he and his colleagues found around 3,000 that they believed were legit based on the balance of evidence. Most of the cases were children who remembered their past lives. He ended up writing 14 books about the subject and all of the different people that he'd spoken to. Which, again, I do sort of go, okay, well, that sounds like a bit of a grift, but Mm. all sorts of investigators are, you know, looking into different stories, finding evidence, and then publishing books Mm -hmm. about their findings. Do a little bit of research on Dr. Ian Stevenson and his findings, and that'll help you make up your mind if maybe you're on the fence or if you feel like you could be swayed to the other side of the fence. It was a scam. <laughs> it was a scam. Jacob, come on now. It was a scam. Says the girl who half an hour ago was like, the troll doll was yeah. just in the middle of the floor. <laughs> oh, I just don't believe it. That story is not that impressive to me. Like, I don't know how anyone would read that story or listen to you just tell that story and go, oh, it must be true. Like, I'm just like, her parents were in on it. It was a scam. If you'd been raised to believe, though, that the soul moves through certain karmic cycles, then you would yeah, view this sure. as definitive proof. Yeah, but I've been raised with brains. <laughs> <laughs> I, you're so worried about offending religious people and I'm just like, it's all stupid. <laughs> I just, uh, okay, yeah, I guess, sure. Mm-hmm. Basically, what you're saying though is, if you're more inclined to believe it, you'll believe it. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's basically it. Although yeah. I think for a lot of people, this has convinced them. And really? Like, yes, Doctor. Not Ian even just Stevenson. back then. Even today. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of people who truly do believe this because there are a lot of people who remember in inverted commas, their own past lives as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, like we said we up the to top, s- we don't know. We, we don't, know. don't know. I this mean, all I difficult was, to believe. I truly do think there may be some other level of consciousness that we don't understand. That's as mm-hmm. far as I'm willing to acquiesce to this whole thing. <laughs> I do not know. I just, but you know what we need to do? We need to have like... Another, this is something we need to do on the Patreon. We need to have a whole separate podcast where we just talk about this shit because I could talk about this for hours and hours. Mm-hmm. I love this stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you've got that to look forward to, Jisners. 
oh, okay, so we're done. Oh, wow. Oh, see you next week. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Can you please, when we post about this, tell us in the, I want to know if people believe it. Tell us in the comments wherever if you're convinced or not. I would like to know because I'm so not convinced. But like you say, I'm a a sceptic. Yeah, if you're willing to as well. And not religious and... Post in the comments if you or someone you know has had past life memories mm. themselves. Yeah. We'd be fascinated to hear that. Interesting. I find anybody in my life that I know or know of who's had any kind of experience like that is someone who's really rich, who's paid for some Byron Bay-esque seminar <laughs> where they've like, you know what I mean? It's all goop. It's all mm. goop related nonsense where all these people are like, I remember my past life because I paid $7,000 to be reborn in a pool of jelly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> through a recommendation I got on Goop and I'm like, yeah, okay, rich people. Tony wasn't like that, but Tony kind of wanted to be like that. To- okay, here's okay. Here's the thing. This is sort of what has made me really more sceptical than I ever was. Tony, our dearest best friend who died five years ago, actually um, this month, believed in this stuff more than anyone I know, was the most spiritual person on earth, was so open-minded to any and all like ideas of spirituality. He would have listened to this story and completely been on board, completely believed Mm. it. He just had the purest, most optimistic, hopeful soul. And he always so badly wanted me to believe it to the point where I'm sure he orchestrated that troll doll on the floor, although I'll never be able to figure out how. (laughs) But Mm. I just think... If he has been dead for five years and not try to just contact me in some way and go, sucker, it's real, I'm like, well, then, (laughs) come on. Come on. If anyone was going to come and prove it, it's him. Mm -hmm. But this is where, like, religious or, like, people go, ah, but he wants you to learn the lesson for yourself. Mm, He's waiting for his moment. It's all in life's journey. The time is right. Yes. The thing, oh, the thing that annoys me the most is when these hippy dippy people talk about this stuff and you say you don't believe it. And Tony used to do this and it drove me insane. He'd go, maybe you're just not at like the spiritual or emotional level you need to be at to let this in. You're just, you're, you've got a block up, Rosie. You're not letting this in. If you were, if you didn't have this block up, you'd be open to receiving and believing this kind of information. I'd be like, shut up, Tony. Mm, mm. (laughs) I hate it when people say that. I know it's such a passive aggressive move, isn't it? (laughs) But I mean, what can you say to it? You can't, you, it's like, well, yeah, it's either, either you believe it or if you don't believe it, it's because there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Mm. Mm, so interesting. if you experience that, Jisners, just look the person dead in the eye and say, so you're saying you're better than me? Yeah. See what <laughs> I mean? We've tried to end this podcast five times in the last 10 minutes and we can't. Oh, my God. <laughs> I want to talk about this forever. I've got to go get ready for yes. Caleb's farewell party that he forgot I was attending. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> okay. Bye, Jisners. Um, see you We love you. Soon. Follow us on Bye. Instagram. Oh, yeah, those just things. Just podcast. <gasps> Oh, oh, I did that stupid thing where I said we were going to give a surprise to our 10,000th follower, but I had no idea how to tell who was the 10,000th follower.
<laughs> so I went through you. Like, we were, we had like twenty to go, and I was like, "Oh, we're about to hit ten thousand, and and we'll record a video for you." And and then just so in two minutes, there was too many for me to be able to tell. So we went back to the we we found a way to narrow it down to about like three people. Mm. So you guys will get a little little surprise vid. Mm-hmm. Um, Enjoy. You may not have. I, I did love all the honest people who kept commenting, going, I followed, but I wasn't 10,000th. I was like, that is so pure and wholesome yeah. that you're being honest about it. Okay. We're going. We're going. <laughs> Follow us on Insta. Like, subscribe. Award winning, clearly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>